Well, it's, uh, it's good to gather with you guys this morning, as it is every week, just to get together with the church. Uh, my name is Justin, and I'm the lead pastor here. It's good to uh, be with you. If this is your first time, like Alan said, uh, we're grateful that God's brought you to be with us today. We'd love to get to know you uh, after the service, and so please let us know that you're here so that we can uh, help you get plugged in and connected and answer any questions that you have. Uh, about sojourn. Uh, if you need a Bible this morning, why don't you just go ahead and raise your hand and somebody will bring a Bible around to you. We want you to be able to read uh, along with us this morning, read God's word with us. And if you don't actually own a Bible, we'd love to give that to you as a gift. And so feel free to take that home with you if you don't already have one. You know, this morning we are finishing up our Scent series. We've been in this series for the last uh, six weeks. And so this is our seventh week finishing up, wrapping up this series where we've been looking at Scripture to see what God has to say to us as His church about being on mission. This has been a good journey for me personally, as I've been studying and preaching through this, that I'm not just preaching these sermons to you as if I'm disconnected from that. I'm preaching these to myself because I need to be challenged in every single one of these areas as much as you do. And I hope it's been encouraging and challenging to you as well. I'm hopeful for what God has done and is doing and will continue to do in our own hearts and lives and in our church culture as we move forward as a church. So as we wrap up this series, let's just take some time to pray and ask God that he he would continue to do that uh, in our midst. Let's pray together. Lord, we uh, are grateful that we are able to gather together week in and week out to open up your word, to sing songs together, Lord, to just be with one another. Lord, there is something uh, important There's something amazing about gathering together with the church. Lord, even though there's technology that would allow us not to do that, to listen to sermons or listen to music online or do whatever that would keep us disconnected from gathering together, Lord, we know that this is a gift from you that transcends all time to call your people together, to sit together, to sing together, to listen to the word preached together. And so, Lord, as we do that now, I pray that you would Help us to think clearly, to hear your word, that it would impact not only our minds, but also our hearts, and that through that, our lives would be transformed and changed for your glory and for our good. Lord, we desire to be a church that's on mission. We want to take seriously your call to us to be people who are going out with the message of the gospel, seeing people believe it for the first time. And so, Lord, I pray that as we wrap up this series, that this would not be the end of this, that we would continue to move forward as a church on mission together. Lord, we thank you for the privilege and joy it is to do that. And so as we open up your word today, I pray for your spirit to illuminate it for us, to help us to understand it, and that you would use this in our lives to do amazing things that only you can do. So we give this time to you now and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, it's interesting to me how over time we take certain words and we adapt those words and give them new meaning. We kind of give new definitions to certain words. And I think that's a lot because of technology. We've taken words that are common in our language, maybe have been used for a long time. And because of technology, start to, to use those words differently. For instance, take the word spam. Since 1937, spam has been a prepackaged meat or something like that, put into a can for you to eat. But over the last few years, we don't refer to spam, talking about meat, we talk about it in in light of uh, unwanted emails, things we get from people that we don't want. It's not the unwanted meat that we maybe don't want. What about a wall? 
Well, since structures have been built, it's been a portion of a structure that defines a particular area, maybe gives some shelter or security. But in recent times, a wall is something you write, happy birthday, dude. You take a selfie or a video of your cat and you put it on your wall. That's what a wall has become to us. What about the word viral? I mean, for the longest time, viral was not a good thing. Viral was something associated with a virus And when something was viral, it's multiplying and growing. It's not a good thing to happen within us. But now we say, man, we want things to be viral. Viral is about spreading things organically through social media or other mediums. We have viral marketing, seeking to get a video out, a message out, something out so that people will see it. So now when we talk about going viral or being viral, that's a good thing. You know, long before viral, viral marketing was a thing, Before anyone even knew what a virus actually was, a commission was given to a small group of timid people to essentially take a message and go viral with it. The mission mandate of Jesus that we've been talking about over these last few weeks is a mandate to make the gospel viral in every sense of the word. Like a virus, to see it spread and affect a whole person completely And to see it be viral and that it spreads organically through those whose lives have been impacted by and changed by the message of the gospel. See, when something is viral, it multiplies. And that's what we're going to talk about today as we wrap up this series. We're going to focus in on, as we look at the word, on what it means to be missionally multiplying, to have missional multiplication as a church. And my hope is, is that if we wrap up this series today in this sermon, that we're not putting a period on the end of this, but this is an exclamation point or maybe better a comma saying, man, we're not, we're not stopping here. This is just the beginning of where we want to be moving and going as a church. So let's jump into the text this morning and see what the word has to say to us this morning about missional multiplication. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 28 today. So if you want to, if you have your Bible, go ahead and flip over to Matthew chapter 28. Matthew's the first book in the New Testament. It's the first of the four Gospels. So flip over to there. It's the last chapter of the book of Matthew. Starting in verse 16 of chapter 28, Matthew writes this. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. The significance of this text relies 100% on the context in which it's written. What's going on here? This is not some disconnected word from Jesus given to these 11 disciples on a mountain in Galilee. When, When this is happening is after Jesus has been crucified, nailed to a cross for an unjust punishment. And we know from the whole of scripture that the reason that he did this was to be a substitute for sinners. To die in the place of people like you and me. Though he didn't deserve that death, he died the death that you deserve to die, that I deserve to die because of our rebellion against God. He bore the wrath of God on his back for our sin, what we should bear. And he was buried. 
He was buried, but we know from the word that he did not remain dead at this point in time as he's speaking to these disciples. This is after the resurrection has taken place. Jesus is alive. The resurrection of Jesus has happened and that has changed everything for these 11 disciples. Everything for them. And it's changed everything for the world. When the disciples see the risen Jesus, they worship him. And it's out of this rightful response of worship to the risen king that he responds to them and says to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Man, this is a huge statement. We cannot gloss over what Jesus is saying here. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Jesus has all authority, not some, all. All means all. But we need to understand that Jesus, as the Son of God who's existed for all time, has always had authority. He is the one who the Scriptures tell us created and sustains the entire world. But as the God-man Jesus, his resurrection now definitively declares to the world that he is indeed the king of kings. He is indeed the Lord of lords. He has all authority in heaven and on earth. There is no place, no space, no time that he does not have authority over. See, his resurrection is a verification that he is who he says he is. And he came to do what he said he came to do. The message that Jesus has preached since the beginning is that the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. The resurrection affirms that the kingdom of God indeed is at hand hand because the king has come. And he's defeated Satan, sin, and death. See, Jesus, the risen king through his death and resurrection, not only verifies the fact that he is who he says he is and has done what he has said he came to do, but it also proves and shows the fact that he has now ushered in a new humanity that he is Lord over. Jesus is restoring the image of God in man through his life, his death, and his resurrection. All authority has been given to Jesus. There can be no questioning that now. This is important for all of life. It's important for every aspect of our life. It's important for you today. It's important for me today. This is who Jesus is. This is what Jesus has done. And the question we have to ask from the beginning is, do you know him? Do you know this Jesus who has authority over all things in all time? Do you know this Jesus, the risen king of kings? But this declaration that Jesus makes in verse 18 is critical for us to understand in light of what he says next. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. Jesus has definitively declared that he is Lord over all. And in light of that, he gives an explicit and clear command to these 11 men who are standing before him. He says, go and make disciples. Not haphazardly, not if only clear opportunities present themselves, not if time permits as you go about your normal everyday life. He says, go, do it with intentionality, go and make disciples. Why? This is the connection point. Because I am the Lord of all creation, because I am the Lord of the new creation. I am calling people to myself through you. So go, make disciples. We have to remember that when 
Disciples are called to go make disciples. What they're called to do, what they're calling people to, is to follow this Jesus, to follow Jesus as Lord. This requires both repentance and faith. It requires turning away from our sin and rebellion against God, trying to be the king of our life, and turning in faith, believing Jesus is the king of kings, that he did die on the cross for the sin that I have committed True disciples are only made when the true gospel is shared. Go, Jesus says. Don't stay put. Don't stay comfortable. Move out. Take the gospel of the kingdom to those who need to hear it. Go everywhere into everyone, making disciples of all people groups. Because I am king over all. And my kingdom transcends all nations, all geography, and all boundaries. My kingdom is not of this earth, Jesus says. It has come and it cannot be stopped. So go. Tell people about the king who has come, who he is. Tell them about what he's done. Call people to lay down their life, lay down their rebellion against the holy God and turn to Jesus for reconciliation, for redemption, for restoration. Go. This is why I've come, Jesus says, and this is now what I'm sending you to do. Go and make disciples. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. Jesus says, as you make disciples, you should also be baptizing them. You should also be teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you. Baptizing a new disciple and teaching a new disciple follow repentance and faith. We need to be clear about this. Jesus is not saying that baptizing and teaching are a means to becoming a disciple. They're a result of being a disciple. They come as a response to your new life in Christ. So when you say, well, then why do we baptize new disciples? What's the point of that? What is baptism? Baptism is a declaration of your union with Christ. It's a declaration of your citizenship in the kingdom of God. It's a declaration of your inclusion into the, into the family of God, into the church. See, baptism does not save a person from their sin, but it's a command to be obeyed as an entrance, a sign of entrance into Jesus's church. What this means is this should be the first step taken by a disciple after entering into a covenant relationship with God as a sign of being a recipient of that new covenant that comes through the death and resurrection of Jesus. Baptism itself is a symbol of what's taken place in your life. You are buried with Christ in the water. You are buried with him and you are raised to new life through the resurrection of Christ. Baptism is a symbol of what's taken place in your life if you know and follow Christ. It's the reality of Galatians 2.20 that you've been crucified with Christ and you no longer live, but Christ lives in you and through you. Jesus is Lord over all things. It's the reality of Isaiah 1.18 that says, though our sin is like scarlet, You make it white as snow. Baptism symbolizes the washing and the cleansing of the reality of the gospel coming to bear on your life through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. But baptism is not just a symbol. It's also a means of grace. 
that's a gift from the Spirit to invigorate our soul and empower us to follow Jesus as Lord as we identify with him in his death and resurrection. That's why by Matthew writes that Jesus says, we baptize them into the name of the Father, the name of the Son, and the name of the Holy Spirit. This is a Trinitarian, Trinitarian event that's spiritually significant. It's not some rote religious act to follow. It's not something just to do because the pastor said to do it. Jesus is calling you to do this. Identify with the risen Lord through baptism. Now, as a side note, if you've not been baptized as a follower of Christ, man, let me call you to do that. We desire to see people baptized to declare that, yes, Jesus is Lord over my life. That's my confession. I've been buried with Christ and I've been raised with him also. And so if you've not been baptized yet as a follower of Christ, let me implore you, let me call you to do that. We're going to be doing baptisms on Easter Sunday, which is April the 20th. And so if you need to be baptized as a follower of Christ, let me call you to go, go online, sign up to do that so we can get you more information about what that looks like. Now is the time as we go and make disciples as a church. Man, my hope is, is that we would see tons and tons of people being baptized. We've been praying, praying boldly that God would save a hundred people, that he would call a hundred people in the Fairfax and Northern Virginia area to himself because you are going and sharing the message of the gospel with people. Man, I can't wait to see people get baptized because when we see people get baptized, we celebrate the fact that these people once were dead in sin, but have been made alive in and through Christ. Now I look forward to that time. When we make disciples, we don't just share the gospel we don't just call people to repentance and faith. We don't just baptize people. We also are called to teach people. See, part of making disciples is teaching new disciples what it means to actually be a disciple. What does it look like to actually follow Jesus as Lord in every aspect of your life? Jesus is clear. As you make disciples, teach them to obey all that I've commanded you. Not just the parts that you like. Not just the parts that are comfortable. Teach them all that I've commanded you. See, when we turn away from our old self, when we walk in the newness of life, we are being conformed to the image of Christ, who is restoring the image of God in us. That's what it means to die to yourself. Take up your cross and follow Jesus. Disciples are those who hear, understand, and obey Jesus' teaching. What this means is that if you're not hearing, if you're not understanding, and you're not obeying Jesus' teaching, then you're not being a disciple. You're not following Christ. Sojourn, we have to believe. We have to lead people to understand that Jesus' commands, God's word, is given to us as a gift for our joy. It's given for our joy, not to kill our joy. It's good because he is good. So even when we come up against the teachings of Jesus and when we teach other people around us what it means to follow Christ, there's going to be hard things. Some of Jesus' words are hard to us, but we have to always say, I have to believe this is good. I believe this is good because I know that he is good and he has authority over all things. As you follow me, Jesus says, teach others to follow me. Are you following Jesus? Is Jesus clearly Lord over every aspect of your life? Well, Jesus ends his commission with a promise. 
He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is the bookend promise from the risen king. You do not go at this alone. I go with you, Jesus says. I go before you. Apart from me, you can do nothing He is with you always. That's the promise. He's with you always. And when he says always, he means always, like all the time. This this is both challenging and encouraging. It's challenging and realizing that when we are sinning and we are walking in selfishness, that we don't do that in isolation. Jesus is with us. But also gives great encouragement. He gives great encouragement that all we do in, through, and for Christ, that he will be with us. See, this promise provides such great comfort to these 11 men who are given a huge task. Jesus looks at these guys standing on a mountain and says, I want you to go to all the world and make disciples. The 11 of you, I want you to go all the world and make disciples. Man, that's a huge task. But Jesus says, look, you don't go by yourself. I go with you. The king of kings will be with his people forever. He never leaves them. He never forsakes them. He never abandons them at any point or in any way. See, the beauty of this, what Jesus says here, is the end of the book of Matthew. And at the beginning, what we learn is that Jesus is called Emmanuel. And Emmanuel means God is with us. Well, Jesus has been God with us, and he remains God with us. That never changes for him. He goes with you forever. As one pastor from the 18th century said, he is with us daily to pardon and forgive with us daily to sanctify and strengthen, with us daily to defend and keep, with us daily to lead and to guide, with us in sorrow, with us in joy, with us in sickness, with us in health, with, with us in life, with us in death, with us in time, with us in eternity. Peace be with you are Jesus' words to you. Peace has come because Jesus is alive and Jesus remains. See, the commission mandate to these 11 disciples given by Jesus as clear, as my disciples go and make disciples multiply. Go and make disciples. So what happens? What happens after Jesus gives this command to these 11 men standing on a mountain in Galilee with him? What happens is that Jesus builds his church like he said he was going to do. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus tells the disciples what's going to happen. He says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. You will be my witnesses. You will go and tell people, testify about the fact that you have seen the risen Lord. That Jesus is who he says he is. He came to do what he said he came to do. In Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit comes. Peter preaches the gospel to a huge crowd of people and 3,000 people cross from death to life by repenting and believing the gospel. In Acts chapter 3 and 4, Peter and John heal a lame man at the temple. This gives Peter another opportunity to preach, so he takes it because Jesus told him to go and make disciples. Then he preaches at the temple. Many more believe And the writer of Acts tells us that at this point in time, there's about 5,000 men who are are now redeemed followers of Jesus. 
In Acts chapter 4, Peter and John are arrested, threatened, and released. And what they do, as we preached a few weeks ago, is not run and hide. They go back to the other disciples, these new followers of Christ, and they say, look, this is what's happened. And what do they do? They don't run away and hide. They don't cower. They don't give up. They pray for boldness. God, help us to continue to speak the word of the gospel boldly. They ask for God to do things that only he can do. In Acts chapter 6 through 8, Stephen, a new disciple, is arrested. And he preaches the gospel to those who've arrested him, and it costs him his life. He's martyred because of the gospel, killed because of the gospel, and persecution increases. At the end of chapter 7 into chapter 8, it tells us that there's a man named Saul who is ravaging the church, seeking to destroy it and tear it apart. Acts 8.1 tells us the disciples were scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. Jesus says, go, go to the ends of the earth and make disciples. In Acts 8.4, it says, now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. The gospel is being proclaimed. Disciples are being multiplied. In Acts chapter 9, God dramatically saves Paul. Paul, who was Saul, who was destroying the church. Paul, who was not seeking Jesus, he was seeking to destroy Jesus' followers. And Jesus reaches down and saves Paul. He says, I have a different plan for your life. I'm bringing you to life. And now I'm commissioning you to go and make disciples. At the end of Acts chapter 9, verse 31, Luke writes this. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up. And walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. Disciples are making disciples. The church is growing because Jesus said, go and make disciples. In Acts chapter 10, the gospel and the spirit clearly come to the Gentiles who are being baptized and taught the word of God. In Acts chapter 16, Paul is led by the Holy Spirit into Macedonia. And he goes to a city called Philippi and he goes and speaks to a woman named Lydia who's a rich businesswoman, and she becomes a disciple of Jesus. Then along the way, he casts a demon out of a slave girl, and she becomes a disciple of Jesus. And as they get arrested soon after that, because they have seen this woman come to faith, they get thrown in jail. And as they're in jail, they share the gospel with the jailer, and he becomes a disciple of Jesus. The church at Philippi is born. Multiplication is happening. I mean, think about this. This is a crazy church planting team. (laughs) You have a rich businesswoman, a demon-possessed slave girl, and a guy who works in the jail. But Jesus is building his church. Multiplication is happening. Disciples are making disciples. Acts chapter 17 and 18, Paul continues to go and preach the gospel and make disciples. And more and more people believe. At the end of chapter 18, Paul is maybe a little bit discouraged. And he receives a word from the Lord. And Jesus says to him, do not be afraid. But go on speaking and do not be silent, for I am with you. And no one will attack you to harm you, for I have many in this city who are my people. God desires to save people. Jesus is calling people to himself. So he says to Paul, look, I am with you. Continue to preach the gospel because I am going to continue to redeem people and continue to call people to myself. The book of Acts ends verses, or chapters 21 through 28 with Paul being arrested and eventually winding up in Rome. And all along the way, he continues to preach the gospel both to leaders and just common people. And the book of Acts ends with these words. 
He lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Do you see what's happening here? Jesus called 11 men on the side of a mountain to go and make disciples, to multiply, and they did it. But the amazing thing about this, the amazing thing about this missional multiplication that we see in the book of Acts, as one pastor points out, is that it took place primarily because ordinary people, empowered by an extraordinary presence, were proclaiming the gospel everywhere they went. These are anonymous people. We know about the Apostle Paul, but the church was spreading all over the place. The gospel was going out all over the place. Disciples were being made by anonymous people that you know nothing about. And here's the amazing truth that we need to allow to sink into our own hearts, our own minds this morning. Sojourn Church is here today. And if you are a follower of Jesus who's been redeemed and restored to God through Christ, if you are in Christ today, you are in Christ today because of the faithfulness of God, the power of the Holy Spirit, and the obedience of disciples who made disciples. Jesus has been building his church. Jesus is still building his church, and he's doing it with ordinary people, not rock stars, not celebrities, anonymous but faithful people taking Jesus's call and commission seriously to go and make disciples. So here's the deal for you, for me, for our church, Christ commissioned disciples to make disciples. So what that means is that never stops. There's no point in time where that comes to an end until Jesus returns, go and make disciples to the ends of the earth, to all people groups everywhere. So for us, that means it doesn't stop with us either. The gospel in us is viral by nature and by necessity. The mission going forward means multiplication continues to happen. See, what we have to look at when we look at the book of Acts, what we focus on is not how God made disciples. What we focus on when we look at the multiplication that happens in the book of Acts is that God is making disciples and he's doing it through his disciples. So as we wrap up this series, I just want to challenge us with a few last things just to kind of end and wrap up our series to send us out from this place with an enthusiasm to go and make disciples. So first, for you and for me, some challenges for us. What we learn from the mission mandate of Jesus and this call to missional multiplication from the church in the book of Acts is that this is not a job for professionals. This is a call to all disciples. See, as the pastor of Sojourn Church, as the pastor of Sojourn Church, my mandate from God is to equip the saints for the works of service and to help you grow in Christ. I want to call you week in and week out. I want to push you to be who God has called you to be in Christ. To find your identity as a son or daughter of God, bought with and washed clean by the blood of Jesus, and call you to do what Jesus has called you to do, to follow him in every part of your life. I want you to be what God has, I want you to do, excuse me, what God has commissioned you to do as you become who God has saved you and called you to be. See, maturing in Christ, if we are really maturing in Christ, 
What that means is that we are looking less and less like the world, but engaging more and more with the world in order to make disciples. That's a sign of maturity in Christ. So as a pastor, that's what I'm called to do. But as a disciple with you, I too have the same calling to go and make disciples. See, disciples make disciples. And they do that by knowing the gospel, by living out the implications of the gospel, and by sharing the message of the gospel with everyone around them. You are our mission strategy for Fairfax, for Northern Virginia. You are. The church is the mission agency of God. The local church is what God has ordained to take the message of the gospel, to multiply, to go and see more people cross from death to life. And here's the deal. There are no exception clauses to Jesus' call to make disciples. He doesn't say go and make disciples, but if this, this, or this is in going on in your life right now, you're off the hook. No, he doesn't say that. He says to every disciple in all time to go and make disciples. Sojourn, there is real urgency to take the gospel to our neighbors and to the nations. There are people all around us every day who remained under the righteous wrath of God. So we need to bring the hope of Christ to them and to trust God with the results of our faithfulness to open our mouths and tell people about Jesus. God has placed you where you are. God has placed you where you are, so multiply where you are. Whether that be in the workplace whether that be at school or at home, in the office, on the field, at the bank, in your neighborhood, in your dorm, wherever you are, seek to see the gospel and disciples multiply where you are. Go. And as you go, seek to sow gospel threads into all that you do. Jesus is Lord over everything. He has authority over everything. So remember that and go with the gospel. See, Jesus' command to make disciples does not require some specific kind of gifting or ability or talent. What it requires is a joyful willingness to obey and a growing love for Jesus and a growing love for lost people. Jesus is Lord. He goes with you. I think God has been working in this community in Sojourn Church over the past six weeks. And I just want to share a few stories with you. Just a few. There's so many stories and I don't have time to share all of them, but just wanted to share a few of stories with you where people have either been encouraged to continue to do what they have been doing or have been challenged to do something different, live life differently than how they've been living it. There's a couple in our church who goes to Trader Joe's at the same time every Sunday. Every Sunday they go to the same, they go to the store at the same time because they want to see the regulars, get to know people who are going there at the same time every week. And they've been able to do that. They've met other regulars. And the wife in this couple has intentionally gotten coffee with these other people that go to the store at the same time as them to develop a relationship with them, to tell them about Jesus. A sister in Christ that's a part of our church works in customer service and has begun to see her position as an opportunity to get to know the regulars at her workplace she always has people willing to confide in her. And so now she's beginning to see those as opportunities, gospel opportunities to sow gospel threads into those conversations to make disciples, to multiply where she is. A brother in Christ in our church was recently challenged by a coworker. He was challenged by this coworker, not in a mean way, not in a negative way, but just a matter of fact way about his forgetfulness at work. 
And his coworkers said to him, man, I think the reason that you are forgetful at work is because you're spending so much time focused on school. And again, he wasn't saying it in a negative way or a matter of fact way, but my friend, our brother writes this. I'll just read what he said. He said, I instantly knew that he was right and instantly knew I had to do something about it. If I really only have five months left at work, he's getting ready to leave this company. If I really only have five months left at work, then I need to go out with excellence and represent Christ well. So the next day, I talked with my registrar and dropped one of my two classes to free up a night and some of my free time. I was also able to share that with him and how he had impacted me to help me get my priorities straight, which is also a great conversation. He says a cool conclusion to that story as well is that I was finally able to get him to come hang out with some dudes and grab a beer on a Sunday night. It was awesome sharing gospel community with him in a low-key but intentional way and bringing my community in to be a part of that. Another couple in our church says, look, we've decided to make our giving more sacrificial Investing in eternity, having this mindset that when we make all spending decisions and looking for how we can maximize our earnings so that we can maximize our giving. There's so many other stories that I could tell of of, of how seeing God working in in our midst, seeking for all of us to be seeking to intentionally engage with our neighbors and coworkers. Many of you have said, man, I'm just thinking about life differently. I'm making plans and taking action Lifting up my head to see the opportunities that exist all around me all of the time and stepping out in faith to take them. Many of you have been challenged to pray, to pray for people by name that God would give them ears to hear and eyes to see. And in the midst of that, God is shaping your heart to love people who don't yet know Jesus. I'm encouraged that many of you are seeking to develop real relationships that are providing real opportunities to speak the gospel into a particular person's real life. Sojourn, I think we're starting to understand that we are the mission strategy of God. So that's our challenge for us as individuals. But as a church, we also have a challenge. We have to remember that we do this together. We should be encouraging one another, holding each other accountable to being on mission, praying together. We should seek to invite people into our gospel community and take our gospel community to people. Missional multiplication happens when the church works together. But another thing that we have to think about as a church is that as we multiply at sojourn, we should also seek to multiply sojourn by planting more and more churches. And man, we should celebrate that. That as God raises up men and women within this church to go out and start a new church in Northern Virginia... We should celebrate that and be excited for that and look forward to that. Say, I want to send you out because when that happens, what that means is that the gospel is multiplying. Disciples are being made. People's lives are being transformed. The kingdom of God is advancing. To not plant churches, to not champion church planting is a direct act of disobedience to the mission mandate of Jesus. You say, man, that's a bold thing to say. Why would we say that? It's a direct act of disobedience. Well, listen to this quote. The church is God's primary mission strategy to the world. Our strategy must be to litter the world with communities of light. This encapsulates God's eternal purpose at the heart of which are Christ and his people. Look, if we're going to take the mission mandate of Jesus seriously, 
and be the mission agency of God, then we have to multiply our local church by planting more and more local churches all over Northern Virginia. It's littering communities of light all over the place so that more and more people might become disciples. Planting churches is an outworking of missional multiplication. It's an outworking of the viral spread of the gospel. That's why we seek to put money and resources to seeing churches planted in our local context. We want to see churches all over this place that are preaching the gospel so that people's biblical community exists within the side their physical community. So as you talk to your neighbors about Jesus, you can invite them to come be a part of your gospel community that's right next door to them. We want to plant more and more churches. It happened in Acts, and it has to still happen today. Look, we're not trying to grow our church. We are trying to grow Jesus' church by making disciples. In the Old Testament, God's people oftentimes built something called Ebenezer's. And Ebenezer's are essentially what are called stones of remembrance. It was something where people would build up stones of remembrance to say, man, I want to remember God's faithfulness in the midst of a certain circumstance or situation. So they would build these, these monuments essentially to say, I, want, I don't want to forget God's faithfulness. But for us as a church, for Sojourn Church, I don't want to put up rocks to remember the faithfulness of God. I want our Ebenezers to be people whose lives have been changed by the gospel because we were faithful to share it with them. That when we look around and see a neighbor or a friend or a coworker who at one point in time recently didn't know Christ, come and take communion, come and be baptized. And as we teach and walk with them, we say, man, that's the faithfulness of God on display. Men and women who were dead in their sin, but God made alive. Man, that's a picture of God's faithfulness. Our God is a missional God. He pursued you. He came for you. He rescued you when you were not looking to be rescued. And we are now called as citizens of the kingdom to advance that kingdom and to see multiplication happen until Christ returns. We are the church. We make disciples. We multiply. And we do that as we take the gospel. We don't take moralism. We don't take mysticism. We don't take humanism. We don't take easy believism. We take the gospel. You are dead in your sin, but Christ came to die for you so that you might be redeemed and reconciled to God, that you might have life. And Jesus says to you now, repent, believe, and follow me. Man, maybe that's you today. Maybe you need to turn to Christ today. Maybe you've been pushing Jesus off or holding him off at an arm's length. Maybe somebody brought you here today or you just came in here, but maybe you need to repent and turn to Christ in faith. Following him as king. If you need to trust Christ today, I want to call you to do that today. That's why this church is here. Please come talk to me. Come talk to a community group leader, anybody that you know, and tell them, man, I I want to know what it means to know and follow Christ. Sojourn, when we rest in and reflect on the gospel and allow it to have its full effect in our life, then and only then are we going to do what Jesus called us to do, to go and make disciples. When our eyes are fixed on the risen king, when our identity is secure in Christ, when our citizenship is secure in heaven, when our inheritance is secure, what do we have to lose? We have nothing to lose. But man, what does the world have to gain? Everything. Everything. I don't want this to be a sermon series that was good. 
We said, man, that was good. I'm glad we preached on that. But then it's gone and forgotten. I want the reality and the truth of what we've been preaching over these last seven weeks to create a culture of mission at Sojourn Church. So, man, don't move on from this. Come back to it over and over again. This is your calling. Go as a disciple and make disciples. So let's take steps of obedience to do this. Jesus has sent you out as ministers of reconciliation, as ambassadors of grace, as agents of redemption. We are sent ones. Jesus has called us to go as he goes and bring the message that he brings. So what are we waiting for? There is nothing more worthy of spending our time on than seeking to make much of Jesus by multiplying and making disciples. So let's go. Be obedient to our risen king who goes with us and has all authority over all things for all time. We come to the table every week to be reminded in our hearts and refreshed in our souls that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came to us as one of us to rescue us from our sin. He took our sin on his back. He shed his blood that you might be cleansed from all of your unrighteousness and rebellion. And he did it because of love. So as you come forward this morning to take the bread and to drink the cup, be reminded also that you are able to do that because of God's grace and because of the obedience of faithful, anonymous men and women who took the call of Jesus seriously. This morning, may you taste the goodness of God's grace to you today. And may you allow that to overflow in seeing the gospel multiplied through you as you follow your risen king. And if you're not a follower of Christ, we would just ask you not to come forward to take communion this morning. We don't want you to come forward and take communion because for you it's just bread, it's just juice. It doesn't really mean anything. So instead of coming forward to take communion, we want you to take Christ. So if you don't know Christ yet, just hang out in your seat. Don't feel the pressure to come up and instead just pray to God. Pray that God would reveal himself to you. Consider the fact that Jesus is the risen king who came to die in your place. Would you repent and believe the gospel today? And again, if you have questions about that, please come talk to someone afterwards. Those of you that will come forward, you can come forward when you're ready to receive the elements. Tear off a piece of bread and take a small cup to drink. And what Jesus has done for you will be spoken over you. As the Father has sent me, Jesus says, even so I am sending you. Go now and make disciples, baptizing them and teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you. And know that I am Emmanuel. I will be with you forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Father, I am thankful for your word that is clear to us of what you've called us to do. Lord, as men and women who've been called out of darkness and death, brought into the light of the kingdom of your son, Lord, I thank you that you are clear to us of what life looks like because of that. And so, Lord, we, we can't get away from, we can't ignore the fact that as disciples, we are called to go and make disciples. And so, Lord, we pray that you'd help us today to really believe that that's true. 
Lord, that we would lose sleep over the fact that there are people all around us who don't yet know Christ. Lord, give us a sense of urgency and give us the faith to step out in obedience, to open our mouths, to be a real friend, to real people, to speak the gospel into their lives. And Lord, I pray that you would call people to yourself. Lord, I know that you desire people from every tribe, from every language, from every nation to know you. Lord, help us to remember that and to be faithful to the call that you've given us to go and make disciples. Lord, we thank you for your grace. It's only by your grace through the blood of Christ shed for us that we can even know you, that we can even be obedient to this call. So help us to rest in that. May we be blown away this morning as we come forward to take the bread and take the cup. The fact that Jesus' body was broken for us, his blood shed for us, that we might be called sons and daughters of God. Lord, let that sink deep into our hearts and overflow in all that we do for your glory, for our good, and for the good of our neighbors. Lord, we love you. We thank you that you love us and that you called us as your own. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.